0: All right, will you bow with me in prayer as we get started today? Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that we can come to this place and meet you here. We thank you that your presence is with us. We thank you that we can just take a deep breath and put aside all the things that have been part of this morning or this week and the things that are weighing on our hearts and minds. Father, we just give those to you today. Speak to us, we pray, in a way that you know that we need to hear from you. We give you this time and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Brian and I were newlyweds, just a month and a half into our marriage, we moved to Bolivia, South America. We lived there for six months with Brian's brother, Joe, Joe's wife, Karen, and their two little kids who were two years old and 10 months old at the time, and we all lived together as one happy family in a townhouse. Brian and Joe and I taught English, taught different classes, I taught English at an evangelical university there, and overall it was really a great experience for us. However, it was bookended for me by bad haircut experiences. (laughs) Anybody here had a bad haircut? Okay. All right, so you'll appreciate this story. So not long after we arrived in Santa Cruz, I needed a haircut. I didn't speak fluent Spanish, and so I had to go through an interpreter. What I intended to communicate was, don't take much length off the bottom, but trim the rest of it. What got communicated was, leave the bottom long and cut the top short. Can you picture it? It was like a Bolivian mullet, yes it was. It was not a pretty picture. I remember going back home, crying to my new husband, who poor guy, did his best to respond to his new bride on this terrible haircut. I have not one picture of that time in my life. Well, fast forward six months, we were getting ready to come back to the US. I needed another haircut, and this time I needed a, a perm refresher. Remember back in the days when we were all getting perms, so I needed a perm. However, the hairstylist didn't know, and I didn't tell her, my hair takes curl very quickly. It it, it curls very easily. And so what I ended up with, not only a haircut, but a perm so tight, I felt and looked like a poodle. It was not a pretty picture as I returned to the U.S. Now, we're covering the second week of becoming emotionally strong. Last week, we talked about no mama drama, as we talked about conflict and today we're looking into becoming mom strong by finding hope in grief we're going to dive into the story of Hagar from our lesson this week so if you have your Bibles and can open to chapter 16 um, and balance all that fine if not follow along the screen that's fine too let me just say before we dive in at this point in the story Abraham's name is actually Abram And Sarah's name is actually Sarai. I am going to stick with Abraham and Sarah just because that's how we typically refer to them and to keep it simple today. So verse 1 chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So we find that Abraham does sleep with Hagar. She conceives, but after she becomes pregnant, she starts despising her mistress, Sarah. Sarah holds Abraham responsible for this. And she says, look what you've done. And Abraham says, she's your servant. You handle it however you want to. Sarah starts mistreating Hagar, and Hagar eventually runs away. So then we see in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And then skip to verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Well, we begin this story by recognizing that disappointment is universal. Disappointment is universal. Disappointment is the distance between what I thought would be and what is. The distance between what I thought would be and what is. So it's what I thought life would look like, but reality is quite different. Everyone in this room has faced disappointment of some kind and another. And your children have or will face disappointment of some kind as well. Now disappointments can be relatively small, like my bad haircut. They can be a broken appliance. They can be burned dinner, relatively small, disappointments, but disappointments nonetheless. It might be a little bit more significant, perhaps something like a loss of a friendship, harsh words that wound your heart, a deep sense of loneliness, or disappointments can be life-changing. The call from the doctor with the diagnosis that rocks your world, discovery of hidden addictions, The untimely death of a loved one. Disappointment happens every time we realize we can't control people, timing, or circumstances. And we find ourselves saying, it's not supposed to be this way. Disappointment is a part of life because disappointment comes from brokenness. We believe circumstances should be better than they are. Finances should be better than they are. Relationships should be better than they are. And you know what? All They should be. But in Genesis 3, we learn that brokenness entered the world through Adam and Eve and their disobedience. And all that was perfect, and all of life as it should have been, all that was beautiful was tainted by sin. So the whole story of the Bible teaches us that disappointment is inevitable because everything is broken. People are broken, relationships are broken, the whole universe is broken due to sin and death. So we're all gonna face situations <laughs> where we're let down. Things that don't turn out the way that we think they should don't look like they hope we hoped they would. Disappointment comes from brokenness and disappointment comes from unmet expectations. Last week, Gretchen talked about unmet expectations in the context of conflict. Here we see unmet expectations in the context of disappointment. Right here at the beginning of the story, we see an unmet expectation. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. She's thinking it's not supposed to be this way. Now it's important to know that a few chapters back, chapter 12 of Genesis, God promised Abraham he would have a son and that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the heavens. The Bible says Abraham believed God, but years went by and no son ever came. Sarah never became pregnant. Disappointment. When that promise was made, Abraham in Genesis 12 he was 75 years old but by the time we're here in Genesis 16 10 years had passed so he's 85 Sarah was 76 now they lived a lot longer than we did but even that it even so these were considered well beyond childbearing years so all these years Sarah had remained barren not able to have children. And in that time and culture, it was a disgrace not to be able to, to conceive. And so when Abraham received that promise from God, Sarah was hopeful. She'd waited 10, but she waited 10 years and still didn't have a child. So we can understand her confusion. We can understand her disappointment. But sadly, what we see is Sarah's disappointment turns to disbelief. And she implies that God isn't keeping his promise. Now, for honest, I think sometimes we do the same thing. Something happens, or maybe it doesn't happen, to us or to our kids, and we question God, don't we? Where are you? We become impatient. We think he doesn't know what's happening. And if, if he does, does, does he even care? However, I think sometimes God doesn't give us all the information we need at the time we're following him. Sometimes he tells us what he's gonna do without telling us how he's going to do it. Well, in verse two, we see that Sarah takes matters into her own, her own hands and offered Abraham, her maid servant Hagar. Now, Hagar was young, Egyptian. She was within childbearing years, loyal. She had been with them for a long time. So Sarah wants Hagar to be like her surrogate, only Hagar doesn't have any input on this decision. So all in one verse, verse 2, we learn that Sarah offers Hagar to Abraham, and he agreed, just like that. Is it just me, or does it seem (laughs) that Abraham is just a little too willing (laughs) to comply? I mean, there's no... Hmm, let's think about this, is this a good idea? There's no, "Mm, I think we should take our time on this or wait on, on this a little longer. See, from our Western perspective, Sarah seems just a little bit conniving here, doesn't she? And Abraham, just a little too willing to go along with her plan, but that's not the case. In those days, the men of the household would not only often not only sleep with their wives but also with their servants sometimes in translations it's called maid servants or concubines and it was their way of, of carrying on the family line and so this apparently is what sarah had in mind and she recognized uh, when that happened that child would legally be hers it seemed like a perfect solution to help god out but this wasn't what God intended. Angela Thomas is a writer and did a Bible study called Brave, and she said this in that Bible study, like so many of us, she, referring to Sarah, misunderstood God's delay as a denial and took matters into her own hands. So what we see isn't a perfect solution, and what we see is that disappointment brings grief. Hagar conceived a child with Abraham, and we're told she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why she despised Sarah, only we can guess that it's because perhaps she's a little proud that she's the one that's able to conceive, that she's blessed with being pregnant. Uh, but we do know that Sarah is very jealous now of Hagar, even though it was her plan that she. Put into place so we begin to see how do two different women experience grief grief is universal just like disappointment is universal everyone grieves it's just part of being human and grief is powerful and it comes with all sorts of varied emotions and it produces all sorts of different kinds of behavior we can grieve something we've lost Or we can grieve something we anticipate losing if you have somebody in your life that's terminally ill. Grief is an emotional reaction to loss or change. So in this story, we see various expressions of grief. We see disbelief. Sarah's disappointment leads to disbelief of God's plan. He made a promise, but when he didn't deliver, according to her timeline, she started to question his promise. We see bitterness. Sarah's grief led her to feelings of bitterness and resentment. And she begins to mistreat Hagar. It leads to blame. We see blame. Sarah blamed Abraham in verse 5. She says, you are responsible. It's all your fault. I put my servant in your arms and look how she's treating me. And finally, isolation. Genesis 16.6 says, Sarah mistreats Hagar, so Hagar fled to the desert and isolates herself. She's all alone in her grief. Maybe you've experienced one of these expressions of grief. Maybe you've experienced all of them at some time. As you've dealt with your own unmet expectations and disappointments. So how do we respond to those who are experiencing grief? In verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord here, many theologians believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the very presence of God's Son, Jesus. Or a theophany, which simply means a temporary appearance of God in a body. So this angel appears, Hagar's out in the wilderness, no food, no place to go. She's probably on her way back to Egypt, which is where um, she was from. Here she's sitting alone, unseen, invisible to the people who would have known her, and probably feeling invisible even to God. The Bible tells us the the angel found Hagar and spoke to her. And I think what a beautiful response to grief. In the midst of her aloneness and her grief, he moved toward her, he spoke to her. And it's a model of how we, too, can respond. Respond by moving toward. I don't think we, as a culture in general, and even as a Christian community, always are very, um, handle, let me back that up. I don't think we, as a cultural community, always know quite how to respond to grief. We often feel awkward We're uncomfortable with loss. We don't know what to say. We're afraid if we say something, it'll make that person cry. We don't want to put them in that position. So we remain silent. We avoid, and we leave people alone. But just like the angel, let me encourage us to move toward grief. And for some of us, This is, you're comfortable with that. Others of us, it's very uncomfortable and unnatural. It takes courage to move toward. When my mom passed away a year and a half ago, I was so sweetly ministered to by a few friends who came toward me, friends who put their arms around me and hugged me, who spoke simple words, who took the time to ask about her I had one friend who sat on my front porch and said, tell me about your mom. And with tears coming down my eyes, I was able to tell her about this amazing woman in my life, and she sat there with me. Let's be okay with each other's tears. Let's be the first to offer the Kleenex. It's so healing. Now, let me just say a side note. I realize that there are some people who desire to process grief internally and privately, and that's okay. If you approach somebody and try and move toward and they put up the walls, that's okay, but let's not assume, make the default assumption that people want us to stay away. So respond with moving toward and respond with empathy. What is empathy? Well, let's start with what it's not. It's not saying, I know exactly how you feel, because nobody really knows exactly how I feel or how you feel. It's not talking about our own losses and losing focus on the other person. Don't we do that sometimes? Somebody tells their story we wanna tell ours? And there's a time and place for that, but as we're ministering to somebody in grief, let's focus on, on their loss. It's not about trying to put a silver lining around another's grief. And we often do this by saying these two words. At least, a friend wants another child and shares, I just had a miscarriage. We say, well, at least you have other children. A child comes home after trying out for the basketball team feeling dejected and says, I I didn't make the team. And we say, well, at least you're gonna have all sorts of free time now. In the face of sadness, we try to make things better, really, I think, often out of our own discomfort and our desire to fix and comfort those. It's, it's motivated, I think, by our love. But let's keep those two words at least out of our vocabulary when it comes to responding to grief. So what is empathy? Empathy, empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy responds with, I'm so sorry, I can understand your sadness, or disappointment, or frustration, whatever it might be. Empathy responds with, do you wanna talk about it? I'm willing to listen. Empathy even sometimes says, I don't know what to say, but I I want to be here with you, and I love you. See, Rarely does anything we say make something better, but what makes something better when it comes to grief is our understanding and our presence. Moms, let's be present with our kids and their disappointments. And while it's hard, I get it, to see our kids grieve, it's when we allow them to experience Disappointment and loss that they're actually mo- able to, in, in a more healthy way, move towards healing and acceptance. It's, an, it's a really important process. Well, the good news in this heavy topic is that the story doesn't end with disappointment and grief. It ends with hope. Finding hope in grief. When I was in middle school, ages 10 to 14, my parents were missionaries in Malaysia, and there wasn't an American school where they worked, so although my mom homeschooled my two younger brothers, my twin sister and I would fly to Singapore and we would stay at a boarding school there, go to school there, and it was kind of being on a college calendar where we would see them at Christmas, at Easter, and during the summer. Well, we lived in a house of about 18 to 22 other kids uh, that lived there, and we had one house mother, who oversaw all of us and tended to our needs as best she could, and she did, um, she did a beautiful job. Uh, but my sister and I, were, as particularly uh, on the younger years, the 10 to 12 year old, were usually the youngest of the kids in the house. Most were junior high and high school age. I remember feeling small, insignificant, invisible as I watched those older kids go on their dates and go into the city and have their group Bible studies, go to prom, you know, I just looked up at these girls coming down the stairs in their prom dresses and on their houseboat trips, all these things that I'd observe from a distance. But I have a distinct memory of one dinner when we gathered around, These we had several long tables, two or three long tables we would gather around for our dinner. And Mrs. Snead, our house mother, her son, John, was visiting from the US. And we passed the food and and, um, the rice started with me and I passed it around the table. And as it came back, John was sitting next to me and he gave it back and I took a little bit more. And he said something like, "I, I noticed you didn't take more till it had gone all the way around the table. So you made sure everybody got some. And to this day, over 40 years later, it wasn't that he noticed about the rice. It's that this little insignificant girl felt seen. Somebody saw me. The God who sees. Up until this point in chapter 16, nobody had spoken to Hagar directly or about her name. Even, Even used her name. Sarah in verse two, as you look back, calls her my maid. Same thing in verse 5, my maid. Abraham then does the same thing in verse 6. He says to Sarah, your maid. But when the angel of the Lord speaks to her, he says, Hagar. Abraham and Sarah think of Hagar as a slave, a foreigner, a possession who can be mistreated and neglected and abused. But God sees her as a person, He knows her name and he speaks to her gently. He cares for her as a person. Moms, my guess is that we all feel invisible at times, don't we? We wonder, does anybody care how many times I've been up in the middle of the night feeding these sweet babies? Does anybody know how many loads of laundry I do week after week after week? Does anybody know how tired I am? God knows. God sees and he cares. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Here we see the God who promises. Now the angel's command for her to go back to her mistress, Sarah, might seem a little bit insensitive to us. However, that next verse God focuses on Hagar's future. On the promise received directly and personally from God. The promise of a son, Ishmael. He would be named Ishmael. His descendants are Ishmaelites, who today are the modern-day Arabs. We know it's a very complicated situation now and a long, complicated history that we won't get into this morning. But promise of a son and descendants. Well, just like God promised Hagar a hope for her future, he gives us promises to sustain us in our disappointment and in our grief and to give us hope for our future. We have the promise of his presence in Joshua 1.9. He says, "I have, not commanded, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The promise of comfort so we can comfort others. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. The promise of redemption. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work for good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The promise of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And then finally, the promise of Of no more grief. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. What a beautiful promise we cling to as we think of eternity. I got an email not long ago from a single mom I'll call Lisa. I hadn't seen her for a while, and so I just checked in on how she was doing. And she responded with this. She says, I'm still entrenched in legal battles with her ex-husband. This really creates a continual financial challenge. As for work, I had surgery on my spine at the end of May, had three herniated discs removed and fused, At week two of my medical leave, I was informed that my position was terminated. I'm currently looking for a job. She has five children. She continues with this. Next line. Overall, life is great. Overall, life is great. I choose to look at every day and every situation as a gift and or good opportunity for spiritual practice. Sometimes, I'm successful in this endeavor. Other times, Not so much. But there's been a shift in my thinking, and that is where I believe a great part of the battle lies. How can she say that it's great? It's not because she doesn't grieve. It's not because life isn't hard. It's harder for her than for most people, I know. But Lisa can say her life is great because in the midst of disappointments, in the midst of grief, she believes that God sees her and knows her, and cares he knows her and she trusts the promises he has given to her mom's disappointments are part of life for us and for our kids and those disappointments are going to bring grief but just like Hagar just like my friend Lisa no matter who we are no matter where we are God sees and he cares about us He will comfort and provide for anyone who turns to him and he always keeps his promises will you bow with me in prayer heavenly father we thank you that you are a god who cares for us so intimately you are god of the universe of the galaxies and yet you are the god who is so intimate and personal we know you see our hearts you know we We know you see our tears. You know the the things that are very private and personal, even in this room today, um, disappointments. Life doesn't look like we thought it would. Father, may we know today that you are God who sees and cares and are at work redeeming, bringing hope, bringing good, bringing the promise of your presence. And Lord, how we look forward to that day when there will be no more grief, no more tears. You will wipe every tear from our eyes. All these things will be gone forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.